0: So we're going to continue on in the series on discipleship. Now, it's coming to an end. Next week, we'll probably have our last uh, service on this particular topic. But I want you to be aware that discipleship never ends. So even if we change the topic and we start to talk about Thanksgiving or the birth of Christ or the coming of Christ or those types of things, we're still working to become disciples and to be disciple makers. So this whole series has been to sort of refocus us, make sure we understand what we're talking about when we use these terms, make sure we understand what we mean as a community as we come together to become disciples, and as we reach out to make disciples. So this week, I, I entitled the sermon, The Original Transformers, The Disciples. You know, that's a toy, The Transformers, and some of you, it, this is like, you know too new or too old for you or whatever but there's these toys and they could be changed from one thing to another it was like really cool and so i thought about that when we're talking about transformation because i want you to be hopeful by the end of today if you're not feeling hopeful about your walk as a disciple if you've been struggling as a disciple if you feel like you're failing as a disciple i want to do away with that because god's word is here to encourage us you see the disciples failures Actually, as we look at Scripture, those failures should give us hope for today and for tomorrow and as we walk into this life of discipleship. Because Jesus saw his disciples not as they were. He didn't see them as they were. He saw them as what they would become. Because God is the Alpha and Omega, right? So he knows all things. He knows that within you, As he comes and resides within you by the Spirit, he's able to change and transform you. Now, some of you don't believe that. You think you're always going to be this way. Oh, Pastor Tom, you don't know. This is how my mother was. This is how my grandmother was. All my sisters are this way. All my brothers... Stop that foolishness. You're not always going to be like that. Whatever that is, right? Whatever that is, you are able to be transformed, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. He's the transformer. He's the one that will change us and make us more like Jesus. You know, the essence of discipleship and the essence of change is really seen in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power of God raised Jesus from the dead. He was dead, 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 just like Lazarus, dead, dead, dead. And was raised to life again. So if God can do that with dead bodies, he can do something with these living bodies. He can transform you and give you new life and make you into a new creature in Christ. A new creature, a new creation that he designed. So that's what we're going to look at today. And I want you to grab onto that hope and hold onto that hope. So when you have a bad day, when you've fallen off the edge a little bit or whatever, you realize God's not giving up on you. Oh, no. He's not giving up on you. He doesn't give up on his children. He has a future for you. He has a promise for you. He's going to fulfill it. The work that he's begun in you, scripture says, he is faithful to complete that work. You may not feel that way most days, but God is faithfully at work transforming you and making you more like Christ. So who were these disciples? The original disciples. OGs, you know, the original disciples. Who were they? We're going to look at a couple of them this morning so that you can get some encouragement. Because from our limited perspective, these guys were a disaster. They were a disappointment. They were not the greatest guys out there. They were not the guys that you would choose first for your team in dodgeball. They were the guys that were left at their very end, right? Jesus chose people who he could see potential in. But probably the world would never have chosen them to be his disciples. Let's think about this for a moment. For example, just, let's just take the last week of Jesus' life. We're, we're mostly familiar with that. If you don't know, you'll, you'll get to learn by reading through the Gospels. But during the last week of Jesus' life, his disciples were a mess. They were a disaster. They were failures. They were a big disappointment. Philip was like panicking in the upper room. He was unsure who Jesus even really was all of a sudden. He was beginning to doubt. And as Jesus shared the bread and the wine and the Last Supper, that communion that we just served, Luke tells us the disciples at that very moment, that somber, beautiful moment of Jesus expressing this miraculous thing that was going to happen through his death and resurrection, what were they doing? I want to say they were playing on their phones. But worse... They weren't playing on their phones. They were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Who's better than me? No, I'm going to be the greatest. No, you're going to be... I mean, come on. They weren't even paying attention. They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest as Jesus was sharing his death, his imminent death, and what that was going to mean for all of creation. That must have hurt him a little bit. It's kind of like, you know, you prepared this sermon... And you look out and everybody's dozing off, or everybody's playing on their phone, or everybody's talking, whispering to each other. I mean, you work real hard, you get real ready for it, and then all of a sudden, oh, they're not even listening. Or sometimes when you're talking to your spouse and they're just going, uh yeah, uh uh-huh, uh uh yeah yep uh, and then you finally get you catch on and you go, What did I just say? Oh, uh sorry about that, you know. So so they weren't listening as disciples. Not just that. When he went out into the Garden of Gethsemane, again, a very intense moment in Jesus' life. The moment when he realizes the cross is coming, his death is coming. And he actually prays, Father, let this pass from me like, so that I don't have to... But, but... But not my will, but yours be done. Do you remember before that? He's going to the garden and it's getting heavy. It's getting real heavy. He's realizing what's going to be taking place here in a very short time. And he says to his disciples, guys, just pray for me. Pray for me. I'm going over here a little bit. I need a little space. I need a little quiet time with the Father. But but please pray for me. And he comes back. And what are they doing? They all fell asleep. All of them. They're like oh, I'm so tired, you know, like, take, you're just out of it, and then he goes away, he says, oh, what, you can't pray for one hour, I guess he had prayed for one hour, you can't pray for one hour, you know, pray for me, he comes back, and they do it again, so they were a huge disappointment, and he had already spent three years with them, this wasn't the beginning, right, so sometimes we think, like, oh, you know, when I first became a Christian, I was like a screw-up, you know, I was doing this and doing that, and someone had to point that out to me, and the Bible had to convict me, and I had to be changed, or whatever, these guys had been with Jesus, God, in the flesh, for three years. And they were still falling asleep on the job. They didn't get it. And then, you know, it gets worse, because Judas has already gone off to betray him. So one of the twelve has already gone, sold his soul for, for, for 30 pieces of silver. And then... As they get to the cross, as they see this happening, Peter, who said, I will never deny you, denies Christ three times. I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him, right? But it says at the foot of the cross, all of them deserted him. In the, in the garden, when the, when the soldiers come to arrest him, they all go running, Now, Peter, he did take out his sword. He did cut off that guy's ear, right? Remember that part? So Peter does something crazy, not what Christ wanted because Christ had to go and then heal that ear, right? So he wasn't in line with what God was doing. He just was going crazy. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we just start going crazy. It's not that we're, we're running away. We just start like slashing people up with our mouth or with our words or with our attitude or whatever. We're not reflecting Christ. We're not reflecting the fact that we've spent time with him. And we've let him transform us. So when he needed their support, when he needed their prayers, they weren't there for him. This is part of his suffering, right? Also is that, is that he ended up alone and isolated at a time when he needed friends. He needed companions. He needed people who would be his prayer partners, right? They just weren't there for him. You know, we shouldn't be surprised by that because they were human just like us. They were human just like you and me. They didn't do all that well in that last week, but they also didn't do all that well during the three years. We kind of get to know them a little bit by reading the Gospels. We get to know a little bit about how they are sort of on again, off again. They get it, and then they don't get it. They're 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 like in the zone, and then they're out of the zone, and, they, and they're kind of back and forth. And I'm not picking on them. I'm telling you that they were human just like you and just like me. Sometimes we're right there with God. We get what his word is saying to us. We understand how to pray. We're, we're walking in faith. We're doing the things that he's asked us to do. We're sharing our faith. We're seeing him do amazing things. And then, amazingly, two days later, it's like we don't even know him. We got mad about this, or we got hurt this way, or whatever, and we're, we're, we're off. We're off again. So after preaching one of his most demanding discipleship sermons, it's in John chapter 6. We're not going to look at that this morning. But in John chapter 6, it says the entire crowd deserted him. They rejected his message. They said it was too hard. They, they, they couldn't understand it. It was about the body and the blood of Christ. And they left him. And Jesus had to actually turn to the 12 who had remained there and said, Are you guys going away too? Are you going to desert me too? And this is a good moment in their lives. They say, Well, no, because you're the one with the words of life. And so they did stick with him. All the rest left, and he was deserted. But they did stick with him. Over and over again, it seems that Jesus is misunderstood. He's criticized. He's denied, he's betrayed, and he's left all alone. And it hasn't changed all that much since that day. It's the same. For those who want to walk closely with Jesus, it's the same. There's a, there's a consistency and then an inconsistency. And what is happening here is that we are realizing that there's part of us that wants to follow God, and part of us that wants to do something else anything else sometimes, and we're torn, and we we go back and forth, and sometimes it's a, a fight of the will, a willpower. Sometimes it's like getting your mind in the right space and getting around the right kind of people. But I want to encourage you, and I want to be encouraged today, that if Jesus can transform those disciples, which he does, he can transform you. He can do it. He has the ability and he has that plan already at work in your life. Sometimes you're not aware of it. Other times you are. He is at work in your life. Think about how Jesus must have felt when he was arrested there in the garden of Gethsemane. And Matthew records One of the saddest verses in the Bible. It's Matthew 26, verse 56. It says, Then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. You know, we've all deserted him and run away. Maybe this week. It was you. Maybe it's two weeks ago. Maybe it was a while ago. The beautiful thing about God is that he doesn't hold that against you. He knows. He knows that it's not easy to follow after him. In fact, he said it was very hard. It's the narrow path. It's the difficult path. So, don't be too hard on the disciples. And I'm here to tell you, don't be too hard on yourself. This is one of those, Pastor Jonathan calls them the the self-disqualifiers. You know, like, oh, I've screwed up one too many times. Jesus wouldn't want me back anyway. I'm no good. I'll always be this way, right? Those are, those are disqualifiers because those are all based on you and your power to change yourself, the self-help stuff. You have to remember it's all about him and his power to transform everything anyone anyone so if it wasn't for the power of God to transform us yes we would be hopeless and I want you to realize that because it helps you to be grateful we're just about to thanksgiving and gratitude is what it's all about and for believers our thanksgiving should be to God you should be grateful that he can change a wretch like you I should be grateful that he can change a wretch like me. And he can. And so we don't lose hope. We find our hope in him. In him is where we find hope. Otherwise, we would be hopeless. The good thing about scripture is that the story doesn't end in in the death of Christ or in the the, the desertion of all all the disciples. It doesn't end there. We get to keep reading and keep understanding what takes place. So remember... We have to read scripture to know what the disciples became, because the disciples became something amazing, right? This is sort of, here's the thing, if, if you just get to a certain point in scripture and that's all you know and that's all you read or whatever, you know, you could be in trouble because you've got to get to the end of the story. I call this the messy middle, Right? You might be in the messy middle of your life. You might be in the messy middle of your marriage. You might be in the messy middle of raising your kids. The messy middle is when like, you, you started, and it's a big mess now, but it's not quite finished. You can see this a lot in like, um, building projects, right? Maybe there's an old building, and it needs to be torn down. When they tear it down, they've got to dig everything out. It's just like a big hole in the ground. There's like rubble all around or whatever. That's the messy middle because there's a new project coming. There's a new building going to be built. There's a new engineer. There's a new design. There's a new everything that's going to be put in place there. But in order to get to the new, you have to disassemble the old. The old has to go and be dug up and be moved, moved away, and then the new can be put in place. That's the messy middle. That's what's happening in our lives. It's called sanctification, but God is slowly removing from us the things that don't belong, Don't bring him glory. Don't bring us blessing. And he's putting into us, slowly, his plan, his design, his engineering. Because deconstruction has to happen before reconstruction. And that's the hard part. Sometimes we wrestle too much with that. So the disciples became something. What they became are the people who took Christianity to the ends of the known earth at that point. They were a mess, yes, but then God used them to spread his word all over the known world. That's the difference. That's what, that's what God is able to do. He's able to take these guys who are kind of a screw-up and turn them into these powerful, amazing witnesses for him. And that wasn't easy either. It wasn't all roses. We went through the book of Acts together. Remember that? There's a lot of like stonings and arrests and beatings and all that kind of stuff. But he took them in their raw material and shaped them and reshaped them and made them into something new. And they took Christianity to the world, really. If it weren't for them, the witness wouldn't have continued. Disciples didn't start out all too well. And sometimes even in the middle, they made some really dumb decisions and dumb choices and said some dumb things, but they ended strong because of the impact of the power of Jesus, not because of who they were. They had good character. They had good integrity. Those things are good, but that's not enough. They needed the power of the resurrected Lord. So how did the disciples become what Jesus intended them to be? Well, let's look at just one of them. And he's probably the one who's most famous for his screw ups because he's kind of like a loudmouth. He's kind of like jumping out there, reacting before he actually thinks too much, I think, right? And this is Peter. Peter should give all of us great hope, especially those of you who are also loudmouthed, who don't think before you speak, and all that kind of stuff, right? You should have hope. Don't give up on yourself. What happened to Peter can happen to you. In the presence of Jesus, Peter was pretty courageous. He's the only disciple who stepped out of the boat. Jesus is out there in the storm, and he's walking on the water, and they're like, "Whoa, a ghost! And he's like, no, it's me, you know. And then he's like, come here, come here, come, come out of the boat. Now, he didn't say, you know, just Peter, the rest of you stay there. He just said, you know, come join me. So Peter steps right out of the boat. Peter doesn't think too much about, like, what happens when you walk on water? Well, you sink, right? So he didn't even take time to think that. He was just like, yes, Jesus, let's do this thing, right? Until he got out there. And then there was a little bit like, wait a minute. These waves are big. What's going to happen, you know? So, so Peter, he should give us hope. In the presence of Jesus, he had a lot of courage. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's the one who drew his sword and he cut off the, the ear of the servant, of the high priest. Remember, in the presence of Jesus, Peter even did the miraculous. He walked on water. He was sent out to cast out demons. And to, to preach of the kingdom. He did these things. In the presence of Jesus, he realized, and here's with the Holy Spirit's help, and Jesus actually points this out. He realized that Christ was the Messiah. He's the first disciple to say, you know, Jesus asked this question, who do you say that I am? Because they were saying, oh, these people say that you're this, and pe- these people say that you're Elijah, and these people say that you're this. And he says, what, what do you think? And Peter's the one who says, I think you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus doesn't say, good for you. Jesus says, you know what? It's the Holy Spirit who told you that. In other words, you cheated on that quiz. The Holy Spirit told you that. You didn't come up with that by yourself, because Peter, I know you. You ain't that smart, right? So the Holy Spirit revealed it to you. It's like he had it written on, on his hand. Like, you are the, the son, the, the, the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Got it, you know? Peter, that was not... Peter's brilliant moment. That was the Holy Spirit able to use a crazy guy like Peter to reveal truth and a truth that was necessary to be revealed. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So he has this grand experience where the Spirit speaks to him and then he's able to to give that Spirit-inspired message, but it wasn't Days later, that he's in the presence of a little girl on, at, a, at a campfire outside of the trial of Jesus, and he can't even tell them that he's with Jesus. He's afraid. His fear got the best of him. He ran away and wept, it says, because he knew he was a coward. He wasn't strong and courageous as he should have been. But that's the messy middle. It's not the end of the story. See, many of us have had a similar experience. We've drawn close to God. We've had this revelation from the Spirit. We know that God is speaking to us and even through us. And then circumstances change, or situation change, or location change, and all of a sudden we're like, "I, I, I, I don't know that Jesus guy." That's messy. It's hard on us too. We'd like to always be strong and courageous. But sometimes we're weak. Sometimes we're frail. Sometimes we're confused. And God knows it. And God loves us anyway. And God's plan is still going to be worked out anyway. So don't give up hope. There's times when you have felt so close to Jesus, so in tune with the Holy Spirit, but then a day later you lose all that. That's the process of becoming a disciple. Because if you don't lay down and die, if you get back up from that situation and reorient yourself to Christ, he will teach you and help you and give you what you need to not make that same mistake again. It's not the end of your story. It wasn't the end of Peter's story. I love that we can see into Peter's story. So let's just take a minute and look at the book of Acts. We love Acts because we studied it for like over a year. It was awesome. So let's turn to the book of Acts. It's on page 966 in your pew Bible. The pew Bible should just like flop open to those pages. But at the beginning of the book of Acts, we we get to finally see what happens to this miserable guy who couldn't even stand up to a little servant girl around a campfire at Jesus' trial astoundingly in the opening pages of the book of Acts. So we're going to be in in just sort of jumping through a couple of verses here. If you look with me, you'll see that there's a miraculous change in Peter. Peter, who should have been afraid now because Jesus had been crucified. He's risen from the dead and he's seen him. So now his courage is restored. But Jesus is... Nowhere around him, visually, like he can't see him, right? So he knows that the people that he's speaking to are the same kind of people who took Jesus to the cross. Peter doesn't act afraid at all. In fact, Peter's courageous. It says, all the disciples, minus one, Judas, who's already gone from the scene, all the disciples had gathered in the upper room to pray. That's in verse 13 of chapter 1. It gathered in the upper room to pray, and then it lists them all. It gives, it gives the list of the 11, and then it gives a list of some women, and, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the brothers are all sort of there together in that upper room. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on them by the beginning of chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, and the Holy Spirit is given to them. Peter then stands up and raises his voice in 238. So, so flip the page over there to 238, chapter 2, Verse 38 all this stuff's going on. Pentecost has happened. The Holy Spirit is there. People are saying, these people must be drunk. What's going on? He begins to preach this sermon in chapter 2, and by the end of the sermon, he's done such an amazing job of helping them to understand what has just happened in the life and death and burial and resurrection and now ascension of Christ, and that they were responsible for the crucifixion, that they actually shout out, brothers, what should we do? And Peter says, you have to repent and you have to be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Peter stands before thousands of people. It says maybe 3,000 people had gathered there. He couldn't even stand up to one little servant girl and a couple guys around a fire a few days before. And now he's standing up and telling them, repent, turn around, change your life, don't stay the way you are, right? He then, he continues preaching in the temple, Solomon's colonnade, part of the temple complex, and people are coming and hearing. Then he walks by a crippled guy, the crippled guy says, oh, give me some money, give me some money, you know, he says, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I'll give to you, Stand up and walk, and the guy stands up and walks. That causes a whole nother ruckus because then, then he, that guy's running through the temples and he's screaming, he's yelling, he's saying, Praise Jesus, praise Jesus. And they're like, What is going on? Oh, that Peter guy and John, the other disciple, they prayed for him. Oh, they actually didn't even pray for him. They actually just told him to get up in the name of Jesus Christ and be healed. And he was. So now he has to stand before the very people who put Jesus on trial. And took him to Pontius Pilate and had him crucified. He has to stand in front of those same people. Now think about it. It's only been like three or four weeks. It hasn't been very long. He remembers that. That's trauma to him. He saw his friend Jesus crucified and die and buried. He saw what what, what kind of like punishment and torment they put him through. And yet he was not afraid. He stood before them... He stood before them and he preached another sermon to the Jewish leaders in chapter 4. And he, and he tells them, you know, this, this is what you did and this is, this is who Jesus was and there's this like boldness in them. If you look in chapter 4, verse 13, I want you to see this. After he had told them that the, 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 the stone that you rejected has now become the cornerstone, that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is God, God raised him from the dead, After he told them in verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, no one, for there is only one name. There's no other name under heaven given for people by which they can be saved. He just narrowed the field. This is the way. The only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. He's telling this to the religious leaders, the courts, the people in power. He's telling them, guess what? There's only one way for you to be saved. And it's through Jesus Christ, the one you crucified. That's boldness, my friends. That is boldness. And in verse 13, they observed it. They said, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John, we, we're just talking about Peter here, but John was there with him as well, and realized that they were uneducated, untrained men. Can you read that with me? Verse 13. They were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. People, that should be our goal as well. As disciples of Jesus Christ, as we interact with the culture, as we get into difficulties because the culture doesn't so much like us or Him, Jesus, as we get into those situations and as we allow the Holy Spirit to to use us and to give us boldness, people should be amazed and recognize that you have been with Jesus, that you somehow are, are exuding the presence of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the confidence of Jesus. He told them there's salvation in no one but Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. So They're not happy. He doesn't convert everybody in the room. It's not a big revival for that religious group there. But what happens is this. They're threatened again in verse 21 of of chapter four. They threaten him further and they released him. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had had been done for the sign of healing of the man that was crippled for over 40 years, right? Verse 23, Are are you following with me? We're on page 969, chapter 4 of Acts, verse 23. After they were released, they went to their own people. They reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, now that when the people heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, are you with me? All right. What did they say? Master, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth. Now they're praying. Somebody's praying and they're all agreeing. Somehow, they're they're, they're raising their voices together. You are the one, God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. So they begin by quoting from the Psalms and then they pray, let's just skip down to verse 29. And now Lord, consider their threats. So they're saying, you know, everyone is against Jesus. But instead of saying, which is probably what I would say in my foolishness, Everyone is against you, Jesus, and we're on your side. Protect us. Keep us safe. That's not what they pray. That's what I would pray. That's probably what most of you would pray. But instead they say, and now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand, for healings and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Filled with the Holy Spirit? Wait a minute. They were already filled with the Holy Spirit. Back in Acts chapter 2, guess what? They filled up again. And they fill up again and they fill up again. If you continue to read the story, we need to be filled up with the Holy Spirit in order to have the boldness to bring the gospel to this world that we live in today. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us with boldness and not just be praying for safety. I don't need to explain myself. Don't just be praying for safety. Pray for boldness. Disciples pray for boldness. Our human tendency and our desire is to keep ourselves and our loved ones and our stuff safe. We're all about safety. But that's not what God's Word models for us. That's not what the early church modeled for us. They modeled boldness. They modeled the power of the Spirit being at work in their lives and through their lives to those around them. It's a different picture, isn't it? a different picture whenever threats come against us whenever threats come against the church it's like god keep us safe god keep us safe god keep us safe god keep us safe safety 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 now i'm not a reckless person you know that but what i'm saying is where's the prayers for boldness as disciples of jesus christ we gotta be bold because he wants to transform us and what made all the difference is the holy spirit The Holy Spirit comes and fills them. And so we need to continually be asking the Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Come and fill us so that we can be this. Um, Revelation 21 verse 5 says this. He who was seated on the throne said, so this is God, behold, I am making all things new. If you were a coward, if you were timid, if you are afraid to speak the name of Jesus, if you're intimidated by little people in your life, if you're intimidated by governments, if you're intimidated by leaders, if you're intimidated by anybody because of your walk with God, the word of God for you and for me this morning is I am making all things new. Now think about the caterpillar. This is a beautiful, beautiful picture, a crazy picture, but a beautiful picture. An ugly old worm, a spiky old worm on a branch goes into a little cocoon, and comes out as a beautiful butterfly. God is not in the work of making better worms. He's not trying to make you a better worm, a better fearful person, a better timid person. He's trying to make a new person out of you and out of me. He is not just trying, he actually is doing it. So we give him By faith, we give him the credit. He is doing it. He is making us into somebody new as individuals and as a church and as his people on the earth today. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. What happens is there's a little echo from the old. The old was loud, the old was obnoxious, the old was annoying. And there's an echo. An echo is not actually the voice. The voice has stopped, but the echo has continued. So every now and then you hear the echo of your old life and you think your old life has come back again. But that's not possible. In Christ, you've been crucified. You're dead to the old life. And you're now a new creation. So what you have to do is reorient those thoughts and feelings around the newness that Christ has come to give us. See, if Jesus transformed his disciples... He's still transforming them now, and He can transform you and me even now. Amen? Amen. So that's our prayer, right? We pray for the power of God, the Spirit of God, to continue to help us to grow into that. That we don't try to be better worms, but we realize we're butterflies. We can fly. We don't have to crawl along eating up green leaves, right? We can fly. We can go anywhere. We can go to South America for the winter. Woo! Get away from the snow. It'll be awesome, right? We can do what God intended for us to do. We have to follow him in order for that to take place. We have to listen to him. We have to let his thoughts be our thoughts. We have to let his words soak into us and rearrange some things so that we can be new. We have a new mind, a new life, a new purpose in Christ. Amen? Father God, we thank you so much that you are still in the business of making your disciples into new people. God, we don't want to be like the old people. We don't want to be like our old selves. That was miserable. We want to be new in Christ and we know that you've begun to work. For those of us who know you, you've begun to work. But maybe today someone has not asked you to make them new. And we ask for that, Lord, to take place as well. For people to come to you and ask you to make them new make them a new creation in Christ, to give your Holy Spirit to them, to begin the process of releasing that power that can change us and make us more like Jesus. Lord, we want to be bold. We don't want to be afraid of everything and everybody. Lord, the gospel doesn't go forth if we're fearful and timid. The gospel goes forth when we're bold and courageous. It's like when Joshua stood on the edge of the promised land. You told him, be strong and courageous, for I am with you. God, you are with us by your spirit. Help us also to be strong and courageous as your disciples and as we go into this world to help others to know Jesus. Give us a boldness. Help us not to shrink back. Change us. Lord, when we do shrink back, help us to get back up and ask you to fill us up with your spirit.